Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host, and this week I want to talk about the Writers Guild strike. Now, you know about the Writers Guild strike, but a lot of you don't know what the issues are, what exactly we are striking for. And so I thought this week I would go over some of the issues, and then I think you're going to have a much better sense of why we are striking and what it is that we are trying to achieve. So that is this week on Hollywood and Levine. So first of all, a little backstory, the way television used to be. Back in the old days, number one, you had networks that were owned by families. Okay, William Paley owned CBS. Leonard Goldenson owned ABC. And the only thing that CBS produced was shows. Shows on their radio network, shows on their television network. They made money because they charged advertising. And so if they had hit shows, they made more money. And studios owned the shows. So if the show was a big success, it would go into syndication and a studio would make a lot of money. Meanwhile, while the show was on the network, the network was getting all of the advertising money and the writers and actors and directors and people involved in making the shows, they all made money. Everybody made money. Everybody was basically doing fine. Well, the model changed with cable and suddenly more competition and now streaming. And with streaming in the wild, wild west, all of a sudden the rules are changing. And this is, this is a truism. This is a universal fact of nature. If the studios and networks can screw you, they will. Now, anytime my partner David Isaacs and I get a contract, a standard contract to produce a series or even to write a script, 
usually it comes along with a 10 to 15 page contract filled with tiny details. We always give it to our attorney and our attorney goes through it and it looks like one of those redacted reports that you see, you know, from the Mueller investigation. They just black out whole sections and lines and in the margins they handwrite little notes and that sort of thing and and they turn it back in and the studios all go, okay, that's fine. In other words, if you catch us on it, then we'll back off. But if you don't, if you don't take the time and the expense, thank you very much, of having an attorney go through the contract, then you sign away a lot of things in the fine print. Okay, the studios are willing to give them up if you catch them on it, but if you don't, well, they're happy to screw you. And they will try to screw you at every point. And along the way, now that we have streaming, and streaming is changing the landscape, they're getting away with cutting corners and finding ways of screwing writers. They always have. Like I said, this is just a fact of nature. So let me go through some of the issues that the Writers Guild is basically fighting for, and hopefully you will get a, a better sense. By the way, it is the Writers Guild and the producers, they're like this conglomeration called the AMPTP. And here's the ugly little secret. There's a lot of infighting between them because they don't all have shared interests. Okay, the feature world wants certain things. Broadcast television is in competition with the streamers. So they're fighting amongst themselves, which I don't know whether that's going to make things easier or whether it's going to make things harder. We will have to wait and see. Okay, some of the issues. Writers' rooms. Now, in my day, you know, back when... You know, dinosaurs ruled the earth. If you would be on a hit show like Cheers, then you would make 25 episodes a year. If you were on staff, you would get paid so much per episode. You would also make more money if you wrote episodes. And if the episodes then reran, you made more money. And if the show goes into syndication, you make more money. Well, with the streaming world now, you generally, even if you have a show, say, at ABC, okay, and the show airs on ABC, well, it doesn't rerun on ABC anymore, so you lose that. It goes right to Hulu or whatever platform ABC is associated with, and then that show is up there basically forever. So there's no syndication so you lose out on all of that. Let me just take a second here and talk about residuals because I know there are people out there who go, well, I don't get residuals for my work. Why should these people? It's a little bit different. Imagine you worked for six months 
on a job and you got paid. And then for the next six months, they used all of your work. You don't get anything. They continue to make money. Is that fair? Would you be happy about that? No. And for writers, especially when, you know, it's not the most secure position in the world, writers live off of residuals for the most part. Okay? It's really, really necessary. And that formula was fine for all of the years before streaming, but now, like I say, every episode of Cheers that we wrote, you can find right now on three or four platforms. You can also go to Amazon and you can order the DVDs. So why should a station in Boston spend a lot of money to run Cheers when people can see it 15 other places. All right, so that's my little rant on why we need residuals. But, like I said, when you're on a show that is a hit for a network, you made as many as you could. But that's different in the world of streaming. Streaming will make six episodes, eight episodes, ten episodes, maybe So even if you are on a quote-unquote hit show on Netflix, you're only making 10 episodes a year. So you are not working the full year. Even if you are on a hit show, you still have to scramble and try to find something else to work on, or you're working for three, four months, and then... That's it for the year. In the past, you at least had the cushion of some residuals, some royalty. You don't have that. Okay? So that's one of the things that is problematic. Now, here's a really heinous program that uh, producers have come up with. It's called Mini Rooms. What that is, is you have a a show that Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or Apple Plus, one of those, they buy a show and order eight episodes. Well, then the producers would put together a mini room, generally of lower level writers, pay them the minimum, and they're happy to work. And they work for about three, four weeks, something like that, breaking all of the stories. And then they're released. They're not around when the shows are written. They're not around to be part of production. And number one, it means they lose out on that money. And number two, it means they don't get a chance to learn. They don't get a chance to be on the set and watch run-throughs day after day. They don't get to go up to the writer's room and 
listen and hear and learn from the showrunners how you rewrite and fix a script. You need that. You need the pipeline. You know, Chuck Lorre started out as a baby writer. The Charles brothers started out as baby writers. So did Diane English. So did Shonda Rhimes. Uh, you can go up and down the line. We started as baby writers, and we worked on the Tony Randall show for Tom Patchett and Jay Tarsus, and then we went to MASH, and we learned from Gene Reynolds and Larry Gelbart. You know, you need those mentors. You know, you need that that system so that you can move up. Well, if you eliminate that, what's going to happen in five, six years? Who's going to be able to run these shows? Then people are going to get a show and they're going to have no idea what to do because they haven't been trained. Now, we saw this in radio. It's sort of the same thing where in radio it used to be you would start out in small market stations. You would do all nights in Fresno and doing weekends in Kalamazoo and that sort of thing. And you learned and you got better and you moved up to bigger markets and then eventually you became major market radio announcers. Well, the radio stations started cutting corners, not hiring local talent, just using syndicated shows, and all of a sudden, where's the future talent coming from? And the answer, they didn't. And <laughs> there is nobody that is really new and young in radio. No one wants to go into radio. Why would you possibly want to go into radio in 2023? Well, the studios are basically shooting themselves in the foot by trying to do this. And so the Writers Guild says, we demand that if a show gets picked up, that you have an actual writer's room of between 6 and 12, depending upon the series length, and that the writers are engaged in at least 10 consecutive weeks. And even that, I'm telling you, it's kind of hard to raise a family if you're only working 10 weeks a year. What did the studios say? No. They completely balked. And this is one statement. I love this from some high-level network executive asshole. He says, at some point, you have to let managers manage their production. And to that I say, fuck you, because you are not in the room until one o'clock in the morning fixing the show. The showrunner is managing the show, not you. So, again, I repeat, fuck you to that. Now, the producers have suggested uh, something similar to an onset training program that already exists with the Directors Guild, and the writers would receive a stipend. <laughs> but that's just a non-starter. Because basically what it is is an unpaid internship for a professional writer. Okay, so they want to eliminate many rooms and they want writers to actually be on staff. Minimum pay, 
The WGA is looking for increases of 6%, 5%, and 5% increases in minimals and residual bases during the successive years of the three-year contract. The AMPTP has offered 4, 3, and 2. And again, why is this so important? Well, because half of all the TV series writers are being paid the basic minimum rate under the union's current contract, half. Now, that is up from 33% 10 years ago. So more and more writers are working for minimum wage. Streaming residuals. Okay, now writers argue that residuals from streaming projects are far below the royalties that they would get from reruns of their shows on broadcast networks. I mean, I've got tons of shows that are running on all of these streamers. I'm seeing pennies. I'm seeing basically nothing from Cheers and nothing from MASH. Where I'm seeing my residuals for MASH is the fact that they're on the Hallmark Channel and that they're on Antenna TV or Nick at Night. Or I, I don't even know, but they're they're on some sort of cable thing. And even then, I'm not nearly making the money that I used to. And another issue is that the streaming companies have shielded viewership data. So producers and writers don't even know whether or not their shows are that successful. So the Writers Guild proposed the introduction of residuals based on viewership in addition to the residuals that are based on a fixed license fee. So that means if you are writing a hit show on Apple TV, if you're writing on Ted Lasso, well, you should make more money in residuals because everybody else associated with Ted Lasso is making a ton of money. You should make more money as well. Then there's the issue of artificial intelligence. And writers are concerned that artificial intelligence will be used to replace them. Okay, so how is that going to work? Well, let's say you have a showrunner and maybe one or two high-level writers right below him. Now, instead of having a staff, instead of assigning scripts to staff members and having to pay the fee for the script and then having to pay the royalties, whatever formula that eventually works out to be, instead of doing all of that, well, the showrunner just feeds in the information to AI. Okay, we want to do a show about the bachelor party and we want da 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 and AI spits out a crappy first draft. And in a couple of years, it's going to be less crappy because it learns. It learns very quickly. So you get a draft. And then the showrunner and the one or two writers below him, then they just rewrite those episodes, fix some jokes or whatever, and, uh, and that becomes the show. And and all of the writers are basically eliminated from writing the scripts. 
Okay, that's certainly what could happen. So the Writers Guild says that AI can't be used to write scripts or source material, and writing that is created by Writers Guild writers can't be used to develop AI programs either. In other words, uh, AI learns by using what is already existed. And uh, the Guild is saying it can no longer do that. Here's what the studios offered instead. An annual meeting to discuss and advances in technology. Fuck that. Okay, again, that's another way of saying, no, we're just going to do it, and then we'll talk about it later. And uh, you also have the issue of feature writing. Now, it used to be that if you wrote a screenplay for Warner Brothers or 20th Century Fox or MGM, you made a lot more money than if you wrote a TV movie for Lifetime. Well, now things are blurred. And at the moment, Netflix is able to pay a lot less money for a screenplay. But who's making most of the movies these days? Movies that are even being released in theaters. It's Netflix. Okay? So why shouldn't Netflix have to pay the same amount as Warner Brothers? Because they're basically in the same market. I I don't have to tell you the... Studios said, no, we don't want to do that. And finally, there's the issue about comedy variety writers. And comedy variety uh, performers who create TV shows for streamers, such as, say, Amber Ruffin's show, NBC's Peacock, well, they do not get the same minimum pay rates and work guarantees that they do for network broadcast shows, such as NBC's Late Night with Seth Meyers. So the WGA wanted to establish minimums for writers on these kind of streaming shows. And instead, the studios proposed a day-rate pay, which is totally unacceptable. So those are the issues. And basically, what the... Uh, producers are trying to do is turn the writing profession into freelance. Okay, you you pick up a few weeks here, you pick up six weeks there, you can't make a living that way. And believe me, even in this economy, when it's not an, uh, an opportune time to strike, Still, I think you can see it's absolutely necessary because otherwise there is no union. Otherwise, they're basically breaking you. Because if there was no union, they could charge $100 to write a script and there would be people who would be happy to do it. The shows would suck, but there would be people who would be very happy to take $100 to be able to write a half hour for ABC. Now, 
What is going to happen? Well, the Writers Guild went on strike May 1st. Nothing is going to happen for a couple of months. They're not even going to be talking. Fortunately, the actors and the directors, their contracts both end on June 30th. Now, once the actors go out, and maybe the directors, although, you know, the directors tend not to go out. I'm a member of the DGA, and I have to say I'm not very proud of that fact. But once everybody goes out, then the town is really shut down, and then the producers really have to consider making deals. And they're going to have to make deals. They know they're going to have to make deals. The directors are going to be asking the same questions in many regards regarding minimums and royalties, etc. And the actors are going to be asking for basic minimums and royalties. And I'm sure they're concerned about AI, about the fact that you can take uh, existing episodes of Seinfeld and you can cobble together a whole new episode without the actors even being involved. Think that's going to sit well with them? I don't. Now, Years ago, and this is my fifth strike, so I have (laughs) seen any number of these, but years ago there was always an elder statesman. Usually it was Lou Wasserman, who was the uh, grand poobah of Universal Pictures. And he would reach a point after a few months where he would say, okay, enough is enough, let's settle this. And then suddenly... The negotiations were back on, and two days later, the strike was over. They're striking for 100 days, and all of a sudden, two days later, the strike is over. Now, the thing that is troublesome is there is no Lou Wasserman. There is no elder statesman. And again, these movie studios and these TV networks, instead of being independent, they're just tiny offshoots of giant conglomerations. And when you have Warner Discovery willing to just take uh, a movie that has already been made, like Batgirl, and $78 million, and just say, you know what, we're just going to eat it. We'll make more money with a loss than we would releasing this movie. What do these people care? There's no soul to these people. Basically, what they're doing is buying, you know, it's like, it's like you're buying a laundromat to burn it down and get the insurance money. That's basically what these studios are doing. And, and for them to cry poor, look at Fox... They just had to shell out almost $800 million in that lawsuit. And as Preston Beckman said a couple of weeks ago, right here on this podcast, that's a win for Fox, okay? That's not taking a bite out of Fox. So if they can afford 700 
and $84 million just to keep things going the way they were, they've got the money to up those minimums. They got the money to fund writers' rooms. You know, you never can feel sorry for the studios as a result of that. Now, here's something kind of interesting, and follow this as the weeks move on. Remember a few years ago, the Writers Guild took on the agencies. And originally, there was one group where the agencies all got together. It's called the ATA. And that's who the Writers Guild negotiated against. The issues were packaging and how the clients were basically being screwed by the agencies. And as time went on, a lot of the more boutique agencies were getting killed. It's like they lived and died by serving their clients and making their 10%. So a number of these boutique agencies went to the guild and said, we're going to split her off from the ATA. We will sign a deal. And once they agreed to a deal and certain conditions were met, then more boutiques did the same thing. And eventually the big guys, UTA, CAA, William Morris, Endeavor, ICM, the big guys had to give in. Well, as I mentioned, there's a lot of infighting among the AMPTP. So what happens if some of these smaller companies, not Amazon, they're not going to give a shit, but what about some of these smaller companies if they say, okay, we'll, we'll settle We'll make a deal with you. And they start splintering off. And, you know, they're going, look, I don't give a shit about Apple's problems. I don't give a shit about Discovery Warner. I'm only concerned about my own company. And we've been shut down for three months. And we're going to get killed here. So what happens if some of the companies splinter off from the AMP TP. Maybe that will uh, cause the log jam to come apart a little bit, and eventually things will get settled. So that's just one scenario to keep an eye out for. And uh, that is a look at the current Writers Guild strike. And if you have any comments, I would appreciate hearing from you at HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. That is HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. And you can follow me on... No, you can't follow me on Twitter anymore. Yep, screw you, Elon Musk. You can follow me on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Got a good interview that starts next week. Again, thanks so much for listening solidarity, and go writers. Bye-bye. Hollywood and the fine. Look around. 
You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.